0: Hello everyone and welcome to the latest edition of the Providence Journal's College Basketball Podcast. This is Bill Koch, sports writer for the Journal. From an alternate location on this Monday afternoon, we are at the Providence Practice Facility. We have ducked off into a side room, courtesy of Sports Information Director extraordinaire Arthur Parks. And I am live in person with my two co-conspirators. First, The Sports Director at WPRI and Fox Providence, Maury Hirsch Gordon. Maury, how we doing, babe? Here we are. How are you, Koch? Coit? Fellas. Secondly, (laughs) the Sports Director at ABC6, the weekend co-host of Cordishian and Coit on WEI Providence, Nick Coit, ladies and gentlemen. Coitie, how we doing?
1: Fellas, March giveth and March taketh away. (laughs) And boy, oh boy, have we had a start to this month. Uh, I think last year around this time, uh, maybe a little bit more in terms of looking forward to, um, you know, with some of the other local teams, probably besides the one we'll be talking about mostly today. Um, But, uh, you know, all you can ask for is good basketball, high level basketball. We've been getting that. But unfortunately, this past weekend, the results were not there on what we've now dubbed as
0: Bloody Saturday. Yes, with, with all apologies to Bono and his friends at U2. Uh, bloody Saturday, indeed. Uh, it was a grim one for for the locals. We will start downtown at Amuca Mutual Pavilion, the last home game of the year for Providence. Senior day uh, for Jared Bynum, Ed Croswell, Clifton Moore, and Noah Locke. And that group and the Friars at home this year went out with a thud. 82-58 loss. To Seton Hall, uh, a game that they were never really in, a game that they never really made a run in the second half, uh, consecutive home losses for the first time since 2018-19. Uh, and guys, you know, I, I know you were both in the building. It was just grisly. It was uh, it was difficult to watch. Uh, I can't remember too many times in the Ed Cooley era, especially not recently, in that building where that team has just come out and and not had it at all from start to finish. No, not at all. Especially this time of the year
2: usually they're they're hitting their stride, uh, they're making a late season push. Uh, they did a lot of their work early in the year this year, early in Biggie's play, I should say um and you know they're in a little bit of a slide here, four or five. but I know as Ed Cooley mentioned in his press conference, you know, just a, a half hour ago hour ago here on this Monday afternoon uh, he said every team maybe outside of Houston and, and maybe like a UCLA has gone through this type of stretch before. So um, we haven't seen it a lot here at PC. Uh, but if you look at college basketball uh, as a whole, every team pretty much has gone through it, even in the Big East with the likes of UConn great. Well, I I think the thing that's so alarming, guys, uh,
1: is the fact that usually if, if a Providence team goes through a tough stretch under Ed Cooley, you know, maybe they're just, it's a tougher opponent, it's injuries, it's whatever. Never do we look at a Providence coached team by Ed Cooley and say, It's will, it's effort, it's those things. When those things aren't on the floor, that's what's staggering. And I think that's what's been the most staggering about this whole stretch here, week, week and a half, is the fact that that will, that grit, that thing that is the identity, the culture here hasn't been there. And the the alarming thing is we're in March. It's not... You know, and I and I know one thing that I, I thought was good from Devin Carter today was him talking about how, you know, and I think should be an encouraging thing, the team sort of felt a little bit this way, similarly, around that TCU game. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were able to find it very quickly because they went down to Kingston and the Ryan Center and they look like a different team. And since then they've looked like a different team. So if you think that they can or are hoping they can do it in a short stretch and turn it around. Maybe that's your evidence for it. Um, but yeah, they, they've got those things that they can control, the will, the grit, all that stuff. They gotta find it, they gotta find it fast. Ed Cooley
0: used the S word after the Seton Hall game. Starts with S, ends with T, four letters. Soft. Yeah. Never wanna hear that from a coach. You know that when a college basketball coach describes his team as soft or her team as soft, they are really displeased. Uh he had some very pointed Post-game comments. After the loss, Seton Hall, he said, we've gotten away from our identity, which is defense. We haven't guarded anyone since Connecticut the last two weeks. The numbers bear that out. There are three worst defensive performances this year, by points per possession. UConn, Xavier, Seton Hall. Seton Hall, 1.39 points per possession. This team is 177 in Ken Palm offense coming in, playing without Kadari Richmond, who has a back injury. He's their best player their point guard, and still they shredded Providence for 40 minutes. Shot 65% in the first half. That's coming off 72% in the second half against Xavier. And, you know, guys, I I know we could watch tape until we're blue in the face. I know their staff will and try to figure this out. But this comes down to a few individual guys who just aren't guarding and who are being isolated and picked on now. And you're looking at Jared Bynum, Noah Locke, Bryce Hopkins. Uh, Bynum and Locke off the dribble on penetration. Hopkins are pulling him away from the basket, making him guard smaller players in space, making him contest out to the three-point line. Providence needs to figure out a way to plug some of those holes because UConn is as hot as any team in the nation right now, and they are the opponent now Thursday at 2.30 to open the Big East tournament.
2: Yeah, slow on pick and rolls. Uh, You know how many times Casey will just drive past Bryce Hopkins there from the wing. Uh, it's a good point, Coach, that you bring up about Hopkins getting pulled out from underneath the basket. Um, you know, and, and whether, uh, fatigue is an issue, uh, or a factor, um, you know, I guess remains to be seen if they can, you know, make a little late season run here in tournament time. But, uh, yeah, def- defensively is, uh, is definitely the key moving forward, uh, for Providence. Offensively, they've been able to score, um, you know, despite you know, not hitting the 60 point mark for the first time this season, but, um, I mean, where would this team be without even like an Ed Croswell on Saturday?, uh, they might not have even had forty forty five points uh, without him. um so w- w- when you look at it, yes, it's all on the defensive end and and you're you're facing a Connecticut team that's got its mojo back, a team that that blasted uh, Alabama uh, early in the season., uh, that's that same Alabama squad uh, that we see right now. So, um, it should be a great game between these two teams. Uh, you know, ask both Devin Carter and Bryce Hopkins about when you prepared, you watched the first game, the one that went your way, uh, the, the game that, that didn't go your way when you were on the road. Which, you know, what do you put a little bit more stock into? Um, and they both said the second, and not because it's, you know, the the, the, the result that's that happened a little bit closer to the matchup that's going to happen on Thursday, but more so because there's things you can watch on film to correct. Um, and I thought that was pretty telling. I think that was a pretty honest answer from both of them that, you know, they're going to look themselves in the mirror this week and, and see what they can see, what they can change. And I think it, it, it just starts with effort. I think plain effort and will, and want to should do this team. Well, um, they they've scored enough on the offensive side of the ball defensively, you know, can they keep UConn to, to 70, 75 points? That's probably my key, um, you know, for, for Providence to be able to hang in this game. Yeah.
1: And I and I think, like you said, offensively, they've been fine. That's the wild thing about this, guys, is I think anytime we've seen these sorts of struggles from a Providence team under Ed Cooley, yep. it's probably on the offensive end, trying to find scoring there. I mean, that's right. It's never defense. It's never this. And so
0: Well, he said it the other night yeah. after the Xavier game. How how often have we scored 89 and
1: lost? Exactly. Exactly, that's exactly what I was thinking. I was thinking in, that in a quote. forty
0: minute game in regulation,
1: never. Never. Never, It doesn't happen. It shouldn't happen. It shouldn't happen in a culture like this that they've built. Um, So you're right. I I think it's a balance of, yeah, you want to look at the technical things um, and you want to, I mean, because I noticed like you guys did, you know, the way that they're trying to treat Bryce Hopkins right now, I think on both ends too, not just defensively, but Offensively, there's been you know adjustments by other teams too in how they guard him, and so yeah. I think he's a guy that's going to have to figure that out. He said it himself: I got to find ways to be more aggressive uh, because he is at the top of the scouting report. He's the guy; these teams have all seen him twice now, so they have an idea of what to do. It's like a it's like a pitcher that comes up in the big leagues and is striking everybody out the first five starts he makes, and then all of a sudden teams adjust at the plate; they know how to hit him, and so. What does he do? He has to make adjustments into, you know, how he changes his pitching, you know, how which you know pitch he throws oh one, oh two, two one, two two, all those sorts of things. So those are the sorts of adjustments that Hopkins needs to make. It's
0: interesting that you bring up pitching
1: with Hopkins. I'm a baseball guy, I know.
0: Because to me He's a big spin rate guy. To spin rate, of course. <laughs> spin rate. Because to me, he looks like a guy who threw seventy five innings last year mm. and is now trying to jump to two hundred exactly the year after. Yeah. He looks to me like he's hit a little bit of a wall here. Mm -hmm. And when you consider that his last couple of years of high school, his first year of college at Kentucky really didn't play a lot of basketball. Mm -hmm. Now he's being asked to play an undersized four in the paint in a physical league, like the big East looks tired. Mm -hmm. Two of his last three games. He hasn't gotten to the foul line. Mm -hmm. He's being guarded by bigger defenders now, which means he's being pushed off the block out to the perimeter away from where he was so effective. The first, 10, 15 games of the year. This guy could be Biggie's player of the year when the the award is released on Wednesday. He didn't suddenly forget how to play. He didn't suddenly become a bad player. But did he lose his legs? Did teams find a way to scheme against him a little more effectively? Those are the questions I ask going to Madison Square Garden and then going on to the NCAA tournament. Did people find something on him? that
2: they're using against him and whether or not Providence can make adjustments now. Yeah, it's all about getting to the rim. Uh, and and every time that he has sort of put the ball on, on the floor of late the last couple of weeks, you know, they've been pushing him toward that short corner area. He hasn't been able to uh, use that first step to get around guys to, to create a good angle uh, to the basket. Um, you know, every time he spins, they play the spin now. Uh, before, when they were guarding him with a smaller defender, uh, he was able to get over top of a of a of a defender he was able to get around them he was able to put up a little jump hook uh, or just even plow right through them now uh, that's not the case uh, teams have gotten better teams have improved I thought it was very telling at UConn a couple of weeks ago when we were there uh, the growth that Alex Caravan has talked about you know himself making the first time through playing guys like Bryce Hopkins playing uh, you know guys on Marquette and Creighton Arthur Kaluma. Versus the second time around, so much more experience, more time to watch film, uh, leads to better results. That's what we saw. Um, he, I mean, Bryce Hopkins has got to be the key uh, for Providence. Uh, an- another another key for Providence. They have no rebounds in that second game uh, against UConn. That that cannot happen. Uh, and when he's been getting to the foul line over six times per game, uh, if you take out the two as you mentioned, Kosh, that, that he didn't get to in two of the last three games here, uh, it's almost inconceivable that that could happen. Uh, because he draws so much contact because he plays downhill so much but if he's not driving as hard if he's not driving as much then that's how maybe you know those goose eggs pop up to his credit he has hit a couple threes and I think that that can help him that can help the team Um, he's not creating off the bounce as much uh, but if he can hit a few hopefully that continues to stretch defenses out but uh, a lot will be asked of him Uh, And a lot should be asked of him. When you're a unanimous first-team all-league selection, that that should be the bar that you set for yourself.
0: Yeah, not not that we're laying this at the feet of one guy or or one matchup, but if you look at Hopkins versus Caravan specifically, the first game, Providence wins. Hopkins has 27 points. Caravan has 11. The second game, they both have 16. Caravan has eight rebounds. Hopkins, none, as you mentioned. Uh, UConn, decisive victory in that matchup in, in the second game. Um, You know, you're talking about maybe your third or fourth best player stalemating
1: Providence's best player just can't happen if the Friars are going to be successful. Well, and, uh, you know, you guys talk about the the rebounding. Uh, It's got to be, I think, everybody that's going to be on the floor needs to to step forward, too, because I think you found out in the second game against UConn, I think you've seen growth in players like Caravan. I, I keep saying it, guys. I I was so impressed. I was sitting baseline, shooting the game, watching Donovan Clingan, and mm. saying like, he is an absolute force. Mm-hmm. So it is a collective thing. Everybody's got to go to the glass in this game, yeah. Providence. Everybody doesn't matter your size, your position, your stature, your year. I don't care. Everybody's gonna crash it because that guy. If that guy's got one guy around him, he's gonna beat you. He's gonna grab the board. As as good as Ed Groswell has been for these guys, he's gonna need help because the size that UConn puts on this on the floor is
2: whew. Yeah. Outside of Hopkins, I don't think there's another player on the court in a matchup where you where PC has the height or the weight advantage or the athleticism uh-huh. advantage. You, you go up now, especially the first five, the most important guys that are out on the floor. Um in and Sonogo for sure. Jackson, no doubt, Newton over a Bynum or a lock, um, up and down up and down the lineup. So uh, it really is going to be a collective five. It's not that hard to be in good position to box out to make sure you move your man and let that ball fall either into your hands or in front of you. Uh, but it has to be a possession by possession approach. There can't be lapses. We saw the lapses that happened in the second game against UConn. They got back into it late in the first half. Boom, that minute collapsed. You allow, you allow the crowd to get into it. You're down five at half. Then the first minute to start the second half. That cannot happen in tournament time, regardless of who you play, but especially against a team as talented as UConn.
0: So big picture as we go to Madison Square Garden, let's just put something out there right away. Providence is in the NCAA tournament. Regardless of what they do against the Huskies, they will be in the field. Are you sure, Bill? I'm sure. (laughs) They will miss the first four in Dayton and be into the field proper. Yes. They have done enough work to this point. They have three top 15 wins, according to the net. UConn. Marquette, Creighton, four quadrant one wins right now. Really, only one loss that you would consider bad. That's against St. Louis on a neutral floor. If St. Louis wins a couple games in Brooklyn, they will jump into the top hundred in the net, and suddenly that'll be a quadrant two loss. Yeah. What that does affect, though, is Providence's seeding. The mm-hmm. fact that they haven't necessarily done enough on the road or played a tough enough schedule, non-conference, to get themselves to a point where they will have a comfortable seed. You're going to be in that 8-9-10 range, whether you like it or not. That means right now ESPN Bractology on Sunday had them in Sacramento playing Boise State in an 8-9 game, potentially playing UCLA in a second game. That's a road game, as we know. Earlier editions of Bractology have had them in an 8-9 game in Birmingham, potentially playing Alabama in a second game. So what you've given away in this stretch, the last three or four, and it really started with the loss at St. John's. Uh, You were 9-2 and at one point in the Big East. You finished 4-5. and You've given away something advantageous. You've given away a chance to get to a five line and maybe play in Albany, driving distance away, having a 4-5 game. Now you are going to get shipped somewhere, and you are going to play someone in what's going to be a de facto home game for them. And – but – to say that Providence is gonna fall out of the tournament and whatever else, UConn's in the top 10 of the net. Even if they lose
1: that game, they're perfectly comfortable on selection tonight. I just I just laugh because at one point, probably a week and a half ago, the questions floating around this area were, Well, how are they ranked in the top 25, but they're only like a seven or an eight? It's like, well, you know, there's you know, rankings are rankings and how you know. Hot or not you are, whatever your yep. recent, you know, success, and you know, look at the non-conference slate, of course, and that it's a full resume for all of that. So they have gotten themselves back into the tournament comfortably because of the way they've played in conference play, but non-conference they didn't have, as we have talked about on this podcast, you know, that big signature win, and so that's why they were where they are now. It's totally the opposite. People are saying,
0: oh, I don't know, I don't know how they even tournament, it. Oh. <laughs> oh,
1: yeah. They're going to make the Okay, They're going to make the tournament. Okay? Make the tournament. Yes. The, the, Providence is in the field. But you're right. I, I think that's that's the downside of this tough stretch late in the season is the fact that now, all right, you're getting into the tournament, but that first-round game is going to be difficult, and you get past that, now you're getting one of the top eight teams in the country, and that's, that's difficult.
2: Yeah, like we mentioned off the top, every team goes through a funk. In a season, whether mm-hmm. it's you lose two, you lose three out of four, five out of six, whatever it is. But because the non-conference was so weak, that's really what's revealing itself now. It's that soft underbelly that they that that we knew was there when they were 17 and five and nine and two, and would not have been exposed if they finished the season even six and three, like we thought they had a chance to when they came home last week. They had a chance to go 15 and 5. they win those two last week, 15 and five. They are no worse than an eight. Probably no worse than a seven, yeah. even uh, with with a chance. We talked about that on the pod last week. Chance yeah. to get to five, maybe a four if they were really lucky and 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 really uh, finished strong. But now it's okay. You have the you have this uh, you know you're in this funk. Um, you don't have that non conference portion to keep you afloat, and that's another reason to court to court's point. If you talk about UConn. Oh, how were they ranked when they were losing all of those games? Well, look at what they did in the non-conference. Yeah. That's an example of why you need to schedule and why you need to pick up those wins because that can buoy you as well. So the soft underbelly is coming out to, to you know, to reveal its ugly, ugly face. But, you know, it is what it is. At this point, they're safely in the field. That's the goal every single year. And you're going to have to face a one or a two seed most likely at some point. So uh, if you're an 8-9, if you're in a 7-10 matchup, which it looks like they will be. Then, you know, you take care of the first game and you you take your best shot. Last year, the one seed came in the second weekend. This year probably comes in the the first.
0: Will be a very tough ticket on Thursday. Obviously, PC and UConn both travel very well to this tournament. You could have St. John's playing in the noon game against Marquette. They're obviously the home team on that floor. Uh, So could be a very tough day session ticket. 2.30. On Thursday at Madison Square Garden, I think that's on FS1. I would imagine should be. Yeah. yeah. Um.
1: You know, typically, they pick up the early round. I was going to say you can't host like Days of Our Lives or whatever in the middle of the afternoon. Uh, or yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're on Peacock now. They're also wow. missing. what soap operas
0: on whenever so actually do, which says a lot about where I'm at. <laughs> at <this point>. Boy, <laughs>
1: um,
0: second game I went to on Saturday was Saturday night on the East Side Brown playing Yale for a chance. To get into Ivy Madness, Brown comes up short against the Bulldogs' 84-75 final. Uh, the loss put Cornell into the field via tiebreakers. Uh, Yale ends up the number one seed. Cornell had a win against them. Brown got swept by them. That was the difference. They both finished 7-7. Seven and seven. Uh, This is the third time in the last four seasons the Ivy League has played where Brown has missed out on the tiebreakers. The previous two were Penn would have gotten into the tournament. Um, tough one for Mike Martin and his group. Tough one from the standpoint that they really competed in that game. They played hard for 40 minutes. It, it was not a capitulation uh, like Providence against Eton Hall. Yale won the game, in, yeah. in my mind. Uh, Brown had a couple stretches that really hurt them, but Yale won the game. Quality team. James Jones is an excellent coach. Uh, share or outright, Seventh Ivy League title in his tenure, I think. Yep. Um, you know, the guy has done wonders there because they're not Penn. They're not Princeton. Very little basketball tradition at Yale before he got there. Uh, and he has turned them into a power in that time.
1: How is he still coaching it? How has somebody not picked him up?
0: Whatever they're paying him, he's under pit. It's unbelievable. that guy, guy is
1: a heck of a coach. I
0: mean, why? He was on the list at St. John's last time. Why they didn't hire him and went for Mike Anderson and said, someone who's not a regional fit. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, uh, we might revisit that in a couple of weeks. Who knows? Last guy the, to boot, too. Depending on what happens I mean, in Queens.
1: Yeah. Right. Um, he's but, awesome, I, and I just yeah, I, I give I give a lot of credit to to Yale and their player development and guys that they bring in. Bill, you looked this up Saturday night. What did Bezembang have for his offers coming out of high school?
0: Yeah, it wasn't very good. I, I mean, he's a Maryland guy, and you know he had like. Towson, and he had uh, UT San Antonio, and he had, uh, you know, it was was like eight to ten schools who you'd sort of look at and say, hmm, okay. Yeah. He's sort of being competed for on the recruiting trail, but no big names there, no Big East, no A-10, you know, nobody like that. You watch
1: him play on Saturday night, and you think this guy's going to play in the NBA. It's wild. Wild. He at between I think the two best players I saw at the Pitts Center this year, to me, were him and Jordan Dingle. Those were the two best players. Yeah. Um, and yeah. I, I thought, you know, because at, at some stretch, when Penn came in early January, Dingle took over the game. And Bang did it for a longer stretch. No, mm-hmm. so know I, I he was the most impressive performer this season that we saw come through. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so it's it was a lot for the Bears to overcome here in league play. Um the front court issues, uh, the depth there, the injuries, they just added up. But I give Mike Martin and the staff a heck of a ton of credit because they got the team to buy in on, all right, we lost this guy. All right, we lost another guy or we lost another guy. Every We was just talking about the collective effort with Providence and the rebounding and everything they need to do against UConn. This team had that and more and then some. Everybody that was on the floor had to contribute because it was the only way that they were going to get it done. And I think it speaks volumes that um, I haven't looked at the box score again, but who was the leading rebounder for Brown that night? Do we remember? Uh, because at one point, I think at halftime, it was Keno Lilly Jr. I don't know if he finished that way, but that to me, it says it all. Guys, says it all.
0: Yeah, it was three guards. Dan Friday ended up with nine. Four offensive. Paximodik had eight. Yeah, Kino Lily had
1: seven. There you go. Like, and that to me, your your three guards are having to do that. It's it's a lot of slack that these guys had to pick up. Um, so the fact that they got to the final day and had a chance to get to the Ivy tournament with everything they went through. And the fact that they pushed back because early on that game looked like maybe Yale might run away. And the fact that they went on that stretch that they did, that play that Aaron Cooley had the dunk that topped it off, the defense, the offense, one of the best plays I've seen in nine years being here at the Pizzatola Center. Um, I mean, I just I give them a ton of credit. I know it's, you know, a lot of silver lining kind of thing here because they all ultimately fell short of what their goal was. But, guys, they had a lot of adversity to deal with, and they dealt with it uh, in in a very positive way. Mm. Yeah, upon reflection, I think
2: I even underestimated the job that Mike Martin did this year Mm. Um, because of the injuries. Um, Mm. Did they lose some games they could have won, should have won? Yes. Most notably, the Harvard game at home, the game at Yale. Uh, But for the most part, teams will have those types of games throughout the season. Those types of things will even themselves out yeah to have him to have his team take the court with a chance to win and get in with pretty much you know your your starting four and five man out i mean usu played 13 minutes i believe it was at yeah. the end of the day but he i mean he struggled just to get through 13 minutes and uh was really just ineffective on the floor and um you know not to not to his fault at all but uh he tried just just an injury he He was out there yeah he was out there he was a presence yeah um you know it it definitely says a lot about the coaching staff um yeah just sunday was thinking about the job that they did and even in the non-conference too let's go back there and the way that they started you know if 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 the game on saturday saturday night was a microcosm of their season that slow start and then they came on strong to end the first half that's exactly how the non-conference portion played they, they beat URI on the road. They destroyed Bryant in, in Smithfield. They had a nice win streak there. They got back to 500. Uh, and it's tough when you're Brown in the Ivy League to go 500, to go over 500, and they did that. So uh, they finished 14-13. and 13. Um, I think it's easy to just clump this year in with the other years and say, same movie again. We've seen this before, final year. I think, though, this year, if you really extrapolate everything that happened, was a little bit more impressive um, just to get them to this point, lack of talent, injuries, et cetera, than the the two prior times that they uh, tied for fourth and fell short.
0: Yeah, you guys mentioned how shorthanded they were, obviously. Malachi Ndur was out, left knee, uh, missed second half of the year. Kaluanya out again, left hand. The last hit game he played this year was the game at Yale, uh, fourth or fifth Ivy League game of the year. He missed the rest. And he barely played that night. He barely played. Played one minute. Yeah. Played the first minute and left. Yeah. Uh, and Nana Usunane the other night, lower right leg injury. He's playing with a sleeve on his calf. You could see he could not get off the floor. There was no lift there. Uh, struggled to get up and down. Tried it. Rested. Gave them 13 minutes. Just wasn't quite able to go. Uh, they put him on the bench probably midway through the second half. And, and it was merciful in a way. It was like, you tried. Yeah. It's just not enough. You... Uh, you know, we're not gonna force you to go through this anymore. Um and so other guys really picked up the slack, obviously. Paximojic had 25 points his last game in a brown uniform. Uh he'll be a great pickup for somebody in the transfer portal next year. Freaking warrior, man. You know, just a tough, gritty kid who who really came into his own this season. Um, you know, someone like Dan Friday, who really competed down the stretch. Uh, you know, more I know we were at Harvard that night where he really played a tough game, tough all-around game. Um, you know, that was the guy they recruited out of Detroit. Yeah, The guy who played at Harvard, the guy who played the other night against Yale, that's the guy they need next season. Uh, it was a struggle for Kino Lilly, particularly from the floor. Um, you know, couldn't find his three-point shot early, didn't necessarily get to the rim as much as maybe they would have wanted him to, to settle down. Maybe get to the foul line a little bit, see the ball go through the rim, and then maybe you stretch it back out. Um, And that's what Yale does so well, guys. A low assist number, but 20 of 29 from two. They execute so well in the half court. Uh, Their actions are so good. They create space for drivers. They're so tough on the glass every year. That's their identity under James Jones. It's just how difficult they are to play against on the glass. And, uh, you know, they are a worthy winner of the Ivy League. They will go
1: to the tournament with Penn, with Princeton, and with Cornell. And yet, I think the key shots in that game against Brown were the threes early in the second half. As good as they were from two, that big man, Wolf, shooting an open three from the top of the key and nailing, I think he nailed two of them. That's the wild thing, is like they can beat you in so many different ways. They have their strength, but that's, I mean, you just talked about, you know, stretching the floor. Like, that's what happens. You go inside, all the attention goes there, you kick it back out, you get yourself open looks. Uh, you know, I guess it sounds simple, um, but but Yale executes it very very well.
0: So Brown, fourteen and thirteen, they finished the year. I, I wouldn't expect them to, you know, pick up on a CBI or a CIT. I, I think based on their injuries, yeah, health wise, I think they're probably done. If, if I had a guess, I, yeah. you know, Mike Martin would be going into one of those events, and and yes, you would like to get the experience. Uh, but you're very shorthanded. Yeah, and cool. I think it might just be time to put the balls away. Cool. Uh, have your healthy guys work out yep. within NCA rules. You know, have them continue to, to improve their games. Uh, you know, guys like Lily and, and Friday and um, you know, guys who are going to be important next year. Uh, but for the rest, time to heal your bodies, take a step back. Yeah. Uh there's no need to play in the CIT or CBI or whatever it may be. If you're gonna be doing it with six or seven healthy guys. I, I don't really see a benefit to that. Um, but a valiant effort from Brown certainly uh, doesn't go unnoticed on this pot. Uh, we would have liked to, a little more crowded this week yeah. Uh, and had to go to Princeton. Yeah, right. uh, For Ivy Madness, maybe next year. Yeah.
1: Um, Where is it next year? Do uh, know? Don't know. I'll look it up. Good question. You look it up.
2: feeling it's Columbia. I oh, thought it might be Columbia. Columbia. I, right.
1: I thought it might be Columbia. Which is too. great for us. Yeah, right. It
0: should be there every year. You're right uh imagine that yeah. you'd have ivy madness big east tournament a10 tournament all right there all in three different boroughs
1: columbia not columbia. bad it's columbia Both, 2024 two yeah. different boroughs yeah
0: sorry columbia so, yeah. You're, you're still in manhattan <laughs> not in the bronx yeah. god here come the angry emails from columbia grad. <laughs> we are not in the bronx Koch, you idiot we're in manhattan on the upper west side 130th street how dare you you're right columbia fans i'm sorry all six of you Uh, Another team that fell on Saturday, Bryant, on the road at New Hampshire in their America East quarterfinal, uh, 67-60 against a team who they beat twice in the regular season. Uh, But this was a different Bulldogs team. A struggle down the stretch, had lost four of their last five in the regular season. The only win they had uh, in that span, they came from behind by double digits at NJIT in the second half and squeezed past NJIT by one point. Um, that was the night we were at PC UConn at, at Campbell. Uh, wild finish to that game. Um, Bryant just ran out of gas. They ran out of gas, guys. They ran out of gas, and they were out of sorts in terms of how they wanted to play. I, I think they got out of rhythm at some point and couldn't quite get it back. Uh, you know, and Obviously, the other night, You're playing without Charles Pride. He had a hamstring injury. We saw him the day before at media availability. Didn't look good. Didn't look like he was moving all that well. Uh, He was going to go seek some treatment and uh, a medical opinion. And for that guy not to play, not to dress, you know he's really hurt because he's a tough dude. Um, And Bryant was left exposed uh, against New Hampshire, a team who they beat twice, but a team that ultimately finished third in the league. Uh, That stumble down the stretch cost the Bulldogs a home game. If they play that game at at Chase, is it different? Possibly. Certainly more difficult to go on the road. And, you know, ultimately, I think the way they finished the season, it hurts me to say this, but they sort of got what they deserved.
1: Yeah, it it was – the coaching staff tried to get the consistency back, I think, for a lot of league play. Um, There was just a time where they just didn't – because you – we heard it. How many media availabilities do we go to where, all right, they win two, maybe three in a row. Um, you know, they're feeling good. They feel like they've got it back. And then boom, they drop a game that maybe they shouldn't, or they drop a game in a you know, tough way or they don't you know, play the way they want to play. And then we go to a media availability after that with, with Jared Grosso and it's, you know, he's trying to get them back on track and trying everything and, you know, there was one point he st- he let the, the players do more coaching and practice and the coaches kind of stepped back, didn't say much. And then, you know, beginning of March, he walks into that media availability. He's got the March Madness hat. He's got the NEC championship ring. He's trying to remind them of what their goal is, all of that. I mean, it feels like this coaching staff when they they had a, a whiteboard or a dartboard and they were throwing darts at this and that and trying to, to get this team to consistently play to its potential and I think we saw flashes of it, but we didn't get it consistently enough. And down the stretch, they really just couldn't get it back. And that's why they dropped in the sixth seed. And then ultimately, you know, what happened, happened.
2: Yeah, it, it was stop and start the whole year pretty much after the loss to Brown. Yeah. Um, you know, shortly thereafter, Kayvon Kramer um, experiences what he went through. Um, they at the time, as as Jared Grosso said, he said, you know, Bryant was the best team in the America East through november month of the season no doubt second month of the season it was it was umass lowell third month of the season it was vermont so uh they were there but they, they could just never find their footing after kramer went down after they lost to brown did they win a few good games yes the one on the road at manhattan they gave a, a nice fight early in the season to Florida Atlantic before we knew what Florida Atlantic would become. Mm. Um, I thought that Towson game. The I, Towson that, game. I
1: was, thought that's when they got it back. It was there. a turn. Yep. Yeah. Yep. You want to you wanna mention uh, the
0: signature win they had early? The, the, <laughs> the win over
2: Syracuse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: You guys should see the look on his face, right? And Maury smiling, but he wants to hit me. Yeah, <laughs> I'm convinced. He wants to hit me. Uh,
2: Yeah, the win over Syracuse there. <laughs> um and that might have been just a little bit of karma after what happened last year. You're sure? Yeah. But true. um mm-hmm. yeah, they never could never get it going. Um, you know, the game at Vermont to start the year. I don't think they won more than three in a row all year. I'll look it up. Okay, I it up. don't believe they did. And definitely not three in a row against Division One teams.
0: They actually right. got Four. They got four. At one point, the fourth win was against Framingham State. Right. So, to me, that doesn't count. And they won three in the middle of conference, Albany, New Hampshire, and JIT. Yeah, no, I knew it wasn't more than three. And then Maine, New Hampshire, Albany. But no more than three. No more than three. It was very, very stop and start. No more I mean,
2: than three. You know, Kramer goes out. Uh, they had some injuries. They uh, couldn't seem to, to get into a rhythm. And at the end of the year, Charles Pride gets hurt. Yeah, just th- not a typical Jared Grosso team uh, in terms of when you know when they peak uh, at the right time, at the end of the year.
0: You, you're sort of ticking off the names there, and I'm thinking about comparing them to last year's team, and obviously that's unfair. But last year's team just so clearly snapped into their roles so much better than this year's group. Yep. You had Peter Kiss, clearly the lead guy, Charles Pride. Capable, strong 1A guy. Adam Alita spreads the floor, shoots threes. Two natural rim protectors, Hall, Elysius and Greg Kalix. You had nominal minutes at point guard, whether it's from Brelsford or, uh, you know, anyone else at that spot. Uh, And then you had some help off the bench from a few guys. This year, there was a lot of passing the baton between Charles Pride and Earl Timberlake and Sharif Gross Bullock. And uh, which one was the guy? Sure. Which one was going to lead you right. at a certain point? I don't know if they ever settled on that. I think there were a lot of nights where it was, oh, you do it. No, you do it. No, you do it. No, I'm going to do it. It's hard to be a winning, consistent basketball team in that way. You need to have the guy, one, one, a two, most teams. And we're sitting in Providence's facility. It's, it's fitting that we talk about this. One of the strengths of Ed Cooley's teams over his tenure year Providence is role definition. Rolls, yep. Does it very well early in the season. Guys play to it. He gets them to perform within those expectations. Bryant never really found that this year. And I think that's a big reason why they were
1: so inconsistent from start to finish. Sure. And it was, I mean, look, this was a new group too. It's a lot of different guys. It's going to be more difficult
0: in yes. modern college basketball with the portal to yes. do that. You're right. Because
1: I think we're going to see teams like we did with, I would say this Providence team where a lot of turnover happens and they're able to bring a lot together very quickly and it clicks. And then we may see teams where they have some struggles trying to find those roles and consistently sort of settle into those because it's just, that's the nature of bringing in a lot of new faces. Yes, You know, because we knew who the number one guy was last year. Charles Pride knew. Charles Pride was, I would say, 1A. Uh, to who we knew was the number one guy offensively, and that was Peter Kiss. Mm-hmm. That was – everybody knew that. This year, it was – you know, I mean, Sharif Gross-Bullock was your leading scorer, but, you know, Charles Price, the returner, and so – and then you've got – I mean, it was a lot of new faces. So, um, yeah, role definition, sure. I think that was probably part of the consistency struggles for this team.
2: Yeah, and and not a lot had – the guys you relied on, A, hadn't won a previous stops. And B, hadn't been with the program for a long time. So you look at a a guy like Earl Timberlake, two programs who were middling, Miami and Memphis, barely played. Antoine Walker with two not good programs in Rhode Island and and Georgetown at the time he was there. Uh, Who else am I – Sharif Gross-Bullock was a points guy for LaSalle, bottom feeder in the A-10. You brought in um, Dougie Buckets, but that was just a hot – couple weeks for St. Peter's. They were uh very middling in the Metro Atlantic Athletic Conference last February before they went on that run to the Elite Eight. Tyler Brelsford hasn't been through it. Charles Pry needed, in my opinion, to step up a little bit more vocally. And maybe that's not his personality. And that's okay. And you can't make somebody become a vocal leader like Peter Kiss was for uh for the team last year. But early on in the season you could see Jared Grosso's gears were grinding because he wants the way that he likes to coach his team is he has a player that that embodies his passion out on the floor. He needs a Jared Grosso Jr. on the floor. That was Peter Kiss the last two years, and this team did not have it. Game in and game out. There would be flashes. Sharif Gross-Bullock would score 30. Antoine Walker would score 30 here and there. They didn't have the guy game in and game out who took on that leadership role. Uh, and, uh, and Charles Pride, you know, deferred a lot this year. Um and, and maybe, you know, as guys will reflect in the ne- in the coming weeks and months, um, you know, maybe that's what that's what uh, they eventually come to. But um, Charles Pride deserved to be one A and uh, it really went to Sharif Grossbullock. Yeah, it was
0: uh you know sort of a strange ending for Bryant because you know, last year we saw them peak like they did and you know, to see them struggle down the stretch this year and and go out in the America East tournament, um, you know, maybe not what we expected at the start of the year. I, I certainly thought that they could contend for a conference title, maybe push Vermont, maybe push UMass Lowell. Uh, and ultimately that did not happen. Um, you know, we'll wait and see if Brian wants to pay to play in the CBI or whatever. I My guess would be probably not. I don't know if they're high enough in the net. I don't know if, you know, they're going to sign off on
2: playing in something like that. I have no idea. Yeah. A lot of determines on who comes back. Right, like does Charles Pryor want to come back for a fifth year? Is Earl Timberlake going to come back? If not, yeah, then it's probably then not worth it? it.
1: Right. So, I wanted to bring this up before we, you know, uh, move on to. I'm sure, URI. Uh, we have some breaking news within the last twenty minutes. Of we the do. Campus at Bryant, we uh, do. Mary Burke has announced she's stepping down as head women's basketball coach. Uh, Thirty-two years, Billy, I believe. Thirty-two years. Correct. Um, yeah, so she is she has stepped down, and there's going to be a, a coaching change with the women's program there.
0: Yeah, and and Mary Burke, uh, you know, you you go back a long way with Mary Burke. If you're a Rhode Islander, mm-hmm. uh, she was a two-sport star at Tollgate, women's volleyball and uh, basketball. Um, you're just a super athlete at Tollgate in the '80s. Warwick kid went on to PC um, and is a PC Hall of Famer. Um, was on some of those great teams in the late 80s and early 90s, uh, Doris? Doris Burke era. Yeah. Yep. Uh, you know, some of those great teams at, at Providence. Um, and she's been an institution at Bryant. Uh, I mean, really, you know, a a serial NCAA tournament qualifier when they were in Division II in the NE10, which was one of the best leagues in the nation. Uh, you know, teams could win the national title out of that league. Uh, and Bryant was certainly... Uh, a squad that was competitive in that league every year. Um, you know, oversaw the transition to Division one in 2008. Um, you know, and you're looking at, at what she did in the NEC while she was at Bryant. She was in the conference championship game last year.
1: That was a heck of a coaching job too the way that they they rallied through to get to that NEC title. Yeah,
0: they were they were a low seed at the bottom of the field, yeah. beat two high seeds on the road and got to a conference championship game. Uh she's the state's women's coach of the year um four times, you know. And and so when you look at her tenure and you consider how much has changed in her three decades at Bryant, you you're really one generation removed from Title 9. Yeah. You're in division two. You move up to division one. You know, she's gone from one generation removed from Title IX when she started coaching to NIL and transfer portal and every game streaming at this point. Like she's really spanned eras in college basketball, the, the breadth of her career. Is so impressive to be able to do that at high level for so long.
1: Well, uh, over college basketball in general, but also at the school, as you mentioned, like overseeing the transition to Division One and getting the program through that, um, getting them into the NEC to compete there and now obviously into America East. Um, so, yeah, uh, you know, it's obviously she's a, a legendary figure when it comes to basketball in the state. Um, so, yeah, interesting breaking news here we have right during the – right during the pod, a PC hall of famer, go figure within these walls.
0: Yeah. Right. Right. She would have played right next door at alumni hall. Yeah. That, that was wow. her home floor.
1: Wow. Um, you know, so
0: certainly poor one out for Mary Burke, just a, a fantastic career at Bryant. I'd be really interested to see if, if any staff would bring her on, maybe as a consultant, mm. you know, if she'd like to to yeah. be a head coach again at a lower level or, or, or a, you know, a different level, something like that. Yeah. Um, you know, because her experience, she'd be invaluable in that way. Uh and the way her team's performed later in the season and, and into March, and uh, you know, the way she's able to approach just one game at a time and be able to break down an opponent for 40 minutes, that could be really valuable on somebody's staff. Like, you know, if Tammy Reese wanted to bring her in as a consultant are URI, if Jim Crowley wanted to bring her in as a consultant at Providence. Uh, just an extra, extra set of eyes like in that Bob Walsh role yes. that he had on Ed Cooley's staff last year. Um, you know, just someone really savvy, intellectual, who's seen it all in the game. That fresh perspective, that changes your program. You, you look at what happened with the Providence men last year. Don't think that Bob Walsh had any small role in that success. He was a major factor while he was here. Absolutely. Um, you know, that's a very smart basketball mind. And I'm sure he came back with some fresh ideas for Ed Cool and Absolutely. the staff. Mm-hmm. Those guys have been intact for a while. Yeah. Um, and it never hurts to have a fresh perspective, somebody who you respect. And if Mary Burke opts to, to take that path, she'd be a great addition for just about anybody in, in the game.
2: Group. Yeah, as, as we digested here, the, the three options, the three other options in the state, I think, are all compelling. You come back to your alma mater and you try to get them back to the you know middle to the upper part of the league um where you had them when you were playing you go to Rhode Island a train that is full steam ahead with one of the the hottest coaches in the country in Tammy Reese or maybe you want to you want to lay the bricks down and, and build a program like she built at Bryant with Monique LeBlanc a new face on the east side and you don't have to sell your house you don't have to move you get to enjoy your summers and you're in this uh you're in this sort of hybrid role of you know you can still you know start to phase into retirement and also you know, keep your feet wet with the game. So I think all three present different opportunities. Um, does it mean she'll just stay in Rhode Island? No. But I think all three could, um, should at least pick up the phone and, and feel where she's at in her career and, and her life right now.
0: Yeah, and we'll, we'll finish with some women's hoops. I women, um, you know, at the A-10 tournament last weekend, uh, they fall in the semifinals to St. Louis, 59 A game where they trailed by 21 points late in the second quarter, made a huge comeback, got it all the way down to one late in the fourth. Sayoni Lassiter misses a free throw that would have tied the game. Sophie Phillips misses a three at the buzzer that would have tied the game and forced overtime. Uh, URI is likely to come up short of an NTA tournament bid. They will likely play in the NIT. Uh, St. Louis went ahead and finished it off and won the A-10 tournament and upset over UMass in overtime in the championship game. So the Rams might be seeing the minute women uh, in the WNIT, certainly in the bracket, maybe not head to head until the second or third round. Ultimately, wouldn't that be fun to see them for a third time? We thought we might get it in Delaware in the title game, uh, but the Billikens played spoiler and, you know, really put an end. uh, I mean, not an end. URI is going to play in the WNIT, but put an end to, uh, for now, to a historic season, another one in Kingston, um, you know, but ultimately they came up to win shy of where they really wanted to be. And that's in the NCAA tournament for the first
1: time since 1996. Disappointing ends. um, But boy, what a year. Um, And again, one of these teams that had to replace a lot going into the year. This is a a, a team that I think was ahead of schedule um, Mm. because I, I, I think you've got a lot of youth there. Yes. You brought in a lot of grad transfers, you know uh, Madison Haddock's Covington, Matt Squires, who obviously uh, you know wasn't healthy going into that A10 tournament. Um, Lassiter, yeah, Lassiter, the 50 I player. Mean, so you've got some you know some older, experienced players, but I I think of you know Maya Torre and Sophie Phillips, who I think are going to be two really really good players for you going forward. Um, obviously, Torre gets you know first team all league and and most improved and and, and the yep. you know the fact that she improved that you know, that much, I think. Um, you know, says a lot about her and and the the ceiling that she has. So yeah, this was a team that had a lot of changeover from you know Manuel Tahan and and that group from last year, and they got twenty three wins, a school record, and won a, a regular season title, uh, co regular season title with UMass. I mean that's that's really really impressive. Um and and I think next year I think that you know. They they, you know, the building blocks that they have with these younger players that now have a, a good year of experience under their belts. Um, you know, I, I think as Maury said, I don't think the train is slowing down there at Kingston. No,
2: no, not at all. Um it is early. Uh we're not gonna set expectations right now with with what sure. the, the transfer portal is, but it's it's championship or bust next year. That's the bar uh that this program has set. Um, you know, you build last year, you pop. Um, you know, you finish in in second place and uh you know you get upset in the first round this year you take the next step you win more games you're floating around the at large conversation uh until the final weeks of the season you win an A10 regular season championship you win an A10 tournament game now it's get over the hump now it's you got to be the last team standing next year um, or else anything else is a disappointment. Not that you can't have a spectacular season if you don't get to the NCAA tournament, but that's where the, the bar now is is for this team. And I think Tammy Reese would admit that herself. I think, I think when she looks herself in the mirror at the end of this season, you know, regardless of how the WNIT goes, whether they lose in the first round or whether they win all six and they're the champs, uh, it's going to be NCAA tournament or bust.
0: The best thing about Tammy Reese is that she is that ambitious. Yep. She would agree with everything you just said. Yep. Next year, yes, we've had our exposure. We've shared a conference regular season title. We've won a game in the A-10 tournament. Now it's time. Now it's time to step on the gas. Keep making progress. Keep moving forward. And she's done that in all four years here. First year, not very good. Second year, you're fourth or fifth in the league. You lose in overtime uh, in a quarterfinal. Fourth year, you win a quarterfinal game. You're right in there in a semifinal game, you know, game that you were favored to win. Um, you know, didn't play well in the first half and really put yourselves behind the eight ball. Ultimately, you're right there at the end. Uh, next year, yeah, if you're not in the championship game, that's the goal. has to be. Uh, will they have the pieces to do it? You would anticipate with what they bring back and certainly what they could add in the yeah. portal, I, I would expect them to bring in Graduate point guard, you know, they've done that each the last two years, just experienced hands. Yep. Um, you know, another shooter, most likely, uh, to compliment Sophie Phillips and Emmy Renat, you know, to replace Squires. Uh, you know, and maybe one more veteran, uh, you know, or maybe someone with a couple more years to play, like Magas, Uh, developmental player who's looking to step up or or take a a sidestep or maybe a step down from the power five. Yeah. Um but certainly the direction of this program, the arc of this program, is what you take away on the whole big picture. The fact that they are firmly ascending uh, and have continued to ascend um, and that there is still more room
2: to go next year. Two silver linings. One, if you're a roadie fan, UMass did not win the A-10 tournament. Yeah. Two, the conversation we had on last week's pod, Tammy Reese probably stays put now in Kingston. Uh, the, the the phones might die down a little bit mm-hmm. because she wasn't able to get it done in the semifinals and championship, which for the roadie faithful, uh, I'm sure is a um, welcome uh, welcome development. Uh, we'll put it at that, um, which helps because had they won the A10 tournament, um, I think her phone would have been buzzing uh, for weeks uh, after after uh, after the big dance. Sure.
0: Yeah, and for us, too, selfishly, because she's great to work with. I know. I mean, she's a walking quote machine like the guy downstairs running practice, uh, Ed Cooley. Um, certainly, you you go to any media availability with Tammy, and she is real and engaging and someone who you want to be around. She has that personality with, with us, with her players, with her fans. Uh, you know, I don't think it's a production in her way. I think that's just who that is. You know, she's a – a special person has led them to the point where we're talking about them being disappointed about losing in championship games, which is not a conversation that we've had very often uh, surrounding URI women's basketball. Uh, so, gentlemen, I know you will be joining me in New York this week. Uh, I'm headed out Tuesday morning uh, to head for the URI men, the A10 men's tournament. They will play LaSalle in a 430 tip at Barclays Center. Um, I imagine that's ESPN+. Plus. I and then, and then I would think CBS Sports Network or, or USA would pick up the later rounds of that tournament. Uh, but that'll be four thirty. They win. They'll play Wednesday at seven thirty. Uh, that would give us two full days of hoops before we get into Providence on Thursday. Uh, ideally for me, I'd like to stay in Manhattan until Sunday. Yeah, and okay. I'd like to see a game every day. I'd be up for it. The Rams want to win a couple day couple games early in the A ten tournament and. Then Providence wants to you know, refresh and
1: reset and make a little run in the Big East tournament. I'd be all for it. You know, I said March giveth and March taketh away. Why don't we reverse that? Maybe, maybe karma is going to come around for us, Bill, because March taketh away. And now it's going to give it? Saturday. Maybe it giveth. Maybe it giveth. That'd be nice. I,
2: I like I like it. I think URI men could win the first two. I do too. I could definitely see. I agree. It. Yeah. They could beat LaSalle. They could beat Duquesne. They could even beat Fordham. I, I don't know about that third game in three days with, with uh with the guys at their disposal, but um I would not be shocked in the least to see them win two games.
0: Nope, that's that's a league without any superpowers this year. Yeah. Uh, that's a league where everybody could beat everybody. You look at your eye. They won against Fordham at home, they lost on the road in a tight game at the end. Uh they lost on a buzzer beater at home to VCU. They beat Dayton at home. They were in it tooth and nail with St. Louis on the road. Those are the top teams in the league. Beat LaSalle. Beat LaSalle. Right there with the Could have swept LaSalle. First game of the year. You know, I mean, so yeah. I don't, I don't put anything past you or I nope. At that tournament. That's why they play
1: these tournaments, guys? That's why they play them? Yep.
0: That's right. And That's why every team should be in the field.
1: <laughs> are you hinting at something? No, no,
0: no. I actually disagree with with Ed Cooley on that, yeah. but that's. Uh, I I would be a little bit more of elitist. Not in the Ivy League where you only have eight teams, but in something like the ACC or the A-10 where you have 14, 15 teams. I'm sorry. If you're two and whatever and you're at the bottom of the league,
2: stay home. Like how the Big East was when they only had 12 make it. Yes. The top top four get the bottom. You have
0: a 16-team league. You've proven over two and a half months that you don't belong in the tournament. Yeah. Yeah. You don't get to go.
2: Right. Call it
0: off. That should be a reward Mm. for people. Yeah in my mind yeah you know I I don't want to see two and 16 right and my please you're wasting my time
1: but you have a Rhode Island team here that's 14 out of 15 and has a chance as we just mentioned to maybe win a couple of games there's a benefit there on the other side of it I'm I'm willing to hear the argument yeah there's a in a conference like this where there's no superpower this year Right? It's a very diplomatic way of putting it. <laughs> well, <laughs> this year there's no superpower. There's no Rhode Island from five years ago when we knew Rhode Island's a tournament team, this, all that.
0: Right? I'd settle for a Davidson from five years ago. Right. right. No, that. Right. Exactly. Where's Peyton Aldridge? Right. Bring him back.
1: Yeah, where's... Uh, know,
0: Jalen Adams. That. Bring yeah. him back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Please, Matt Mobley. Yeah,
1: Kellen... Uh, what's Get his
0: them in base? here. Uh, Kellen Grady.
1: Yeah, Kellen Grady. Thank you.
0: Kellen Grady. Yeah. The pride of Catholic Memorial, or Northfield, Northfield,
1: yeah, it's good. Transfer like
0: to CM, yeah. CM basketball, no, oh. CM hockey, okay, yeah. Struck a nerve with the mask
1: guy here in the end of the pod. No, I just know my math stuff, you know. I know my programs, Okay. Right? Well, it's, it's North baseball. I'm like, East clearly, school, just don't clearly. get me started on Ducksberry. <laughs> Duh, hey, easy yeah. now. Don't
0: get me in trouble.
1: Don't get me. Don't get me in trouble.
0: Curse on the podcast for the first time ever. Yeah. You know, you know, uh, yeah. Anyways, <laughs> uh, sorry to our Ducksberry listeners. Um, I'm not. All right for 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 the folks who are making the trip uh, to Manhattan this weekend or Brooklyn this weekend. We wish you all safe travels. Uh, you know, we hope that. Um, you have an enjoyable time down there. I I know we will. Um, for folks who are going on to the NCAA tournament next week, uh, we will have a pod early next week breaking down Providence, uh, any other surprise qualifiers, and potentially a chance to make you a little money Thursday through Sunday. Um, so for all our listeners, Coit, Maury, thank you all very much.